Okay, welcome to The Staunch. This is our first episode. Uh, I'm Jacob Stevens and my co-host, Ross Wade. Howdy ho. And our uh, first guest here today is uh, State Representative Shane Lindauer. So, welcome Shane. Thank you guys. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm honored to be the first guest here, so appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, and really we wanted Shane to be our first guest because, um, you know, I, I just told him off air here that he does a really good job of communicating to the public, like, what's going on, what he's doing, and he's very accessible, right? So, I mean, there's so many times where, you know, I'll text him, I have a question, he'll answer it within usually 24 hours, 48 hours, and um, that's not to brag about anything, but you can do, like, with any congressman, state senator, state representative, you can do that, and people just don't know. So, as part of the show, you know, hope people gain confidence that, you know, what you say, what I say to Shane, what Ross says to Shane, to you know, whether it's Larry Bouchon, Mike Braun, whoever, it matters and it sticks in their head. So, yeah. Well, and not just that, but Shane is our first guest because he's probably the staunchiest <laughs> uh, politician that I know. Avid gun gun lover has uh, passed some bills that are very useful for for the movement that I know that we support. So, uh, very fitting. Very fitting guest. Yeah, Ross, why don't you give him a, a, a definition of the staunch? So the staunch, by definition, is being loyal and committed in attitude. Um, I guess what I would define the staunch as is, as this world continues or possibly may continue to dilapidate, the staunch are the people that you would call in a crisis, and they would be dependable, loyal, and committed to uh, serving whatever mission that is. And, you know, this is a conservative podcast, I'll say, right? Am I allowed to say that? I'm <laughs> canceled already. Absolutely. Absolutely. Already. I'm out. No. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't polarize anything. No, but, uh, yeah, so the staunch are people who are not critics, but they're useful, um, which you just answered that question. You text Shane, and he texts you right back. He's not this big-headed, arrogant politician that, you know, wants to just flag his name around, but he's useful. He, he answers and, and uh, wants to be a servant of the community. So Yeah, not, not to pump him up too bad, but he's just like a regular dad, <laughs> just wants to like do the right thing, right? So I, I think that, you know, to that, we're, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we're, we're, as elected officials, we, we, are, we are truly to be servants of, of the people that we represent. And, and I try to communicate that to people all the time. I my regular line, it sounds cliche, but it's, I truly try to live it, is I work for you. Now, I work for you doesn't mean that I'm going to do everything you want me to do or vote everywhere you want me to vote, but I try to, you know, what I try to tell everybody with I work for you is my job is to listen to you and give you a hearing and, and hopefully come to some, you know, amicable agreement or disagreement. Um, at least you'll know where I stand, um, and and go from and go from there. So, uh, but to your your point, Jacob, yeah, it, it, it's um, you know I, I think encouraging people to reach out it does make a difference. As a state representative, I can tell you if if you reach out to me directly, um, or Ross, you reach out to me directly, it's it's going to make a bigger difference than shooting a um, kind of a form email that we've all seen. Right? I'm not saying those things don't make a difference, but but building personal relationships as much as we can. And again, you know, we, we can't have personal relationships with, you know, I represent roughly 65,000 people can't have personal relationships with all those folks. But the more that, you know, we reach out and, and do those things and try to be actively engaged in the process. That was what our country was built for was a, was an active and engaged populace. And so certainly encourage your listeners to, to do that. And yeah. informed, informed populace. Yes. Absolutely. Informed, not misinformed. Yeah, and just so real quick for listeners, um, can you? I know we just redistrict, so it might be confusing. But what do you represent? Like, who? What towns do you represent? So it's it's roughly uh, kind of Jasper over. It was Petersburg, but now the redistricting. I, I kind of bump up against Petersburg, but not exactly. So a little bit of Pike County, like Otwell, is kind of the main population yeah. center there, and then uh, up here to Washington, um, and then going back east, Montgomery, Shoals, Lagodi area. And then back down to, to Washington, so it goes up toward Odin. Doesn't quite catch Odin, um, but uh, I've got I represent all of Martin County now in the new district okay. uh, where before I missed the northern section there. So okay, yeah, yeah, okay, awesome. 
So we'll transition into kind of getting to know Shane a little better. Um, let's talk about wife, kids, yeah, hobbies. Yeah, so um, I'm married to my wife, Stacy, just uh, 20, 23 years, um, a few few days ago. Um, we was our anniversary, so uh, two, two sons that we uh, love dearly. And uh, my wife and I uh, recently started a small business. Uh, it's called uh, Beehive uh, Assisted Living Homes. It's actually in Huntingburg. And um, so we are battling through a new business startup right now, which is uh, <laughs> um, anybody who's done that, um, you know, the... Um, uh, labor situation is, is challenging right now, and, and so, um, you know, we, uh, it's, we're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so we have to be staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and, and so that's, that's kind of where we're at from a work standpoint. I've been in a, you know, small business owner um, for most of my professional life, I guess, prior to this. I was in a small family business in uh, the recycling industry, so I think that's the common story, right? You go from recycling to assisted living, you guys have heard that story a thousand times in life, probably, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, specific. yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, you know, there's a long winding road on that story, but I won't bore you with those details now. But in any case, uh, you know, a background in small business ownership and, and uh, so living, you know, I have a Jasper address, live out in the country. Uh, we've got a few acres um, outside of Jasper and a little hobby farm. Um, my wife and my, my boys, obviously. And then, um, my friends kind of jokingly call it our compound because we've got uh, several family members that live out on about, you know, 80 acres that my grandfather owned um, okay. out on the west side of Jasper. So um, grand, my grandparents are out there close. I've got a couple aunts and uncles close. So One of my dreams is to have my own compound. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I'll take it. A family yeah. compound. Yeah, I, I hear a lot more yeah. conservatives these days talk about yeah. having a commune compound. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's how they used to do it, right, where yeah. they would have – in-laws on yeah. your side, right? Absolutely. Like I said, my, my boys, uh, you know, run out, run out of the back door and uh, can, you know, run over to my grand, my parents, their grandparents' house. Awesome. And, and my great, my great, my grandparents, their great grandparents' house, uh, you know, can be there uh, without crossing a county road, you know, so uh, just running through a field or up a driveway or something. So it's, uh, we're very blessed to have that situation. Absolutely. Well, it, it's way more of a family oriented family, I guess you could say that's typically how older generations of people did it. I mean, even with a grandma living in the house to help with kids, it leads to, I think, a better quality family. But when you say the word compound, obviously it's, it's got some sort of negative connotation yeah. to it yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. But yeah. I don't want to give the wrong idea there's no walls or fences or barbed wire <laughs> right. but yeah. uh except for the cattle uh but <laughs> yeah, uh sure. you know it, it's uh you know it is uh, kind of a you know a lot of relation that live in a very tight-knit area and and as you say Ross it's uh some people kind of laugh at us and and um you know and my wife is the in-law and so they think oh you know how could you you, know, you want to be that close to your yeah. in-laws and fortunately my my parents have been again just a huge blessing to us and helped really help raise our boys and and uh so anyway I, I think i think i don't want to speak for my wife but i think she enjoys living <laughs> out there as well so yeah yeah well, that's awesome well i think it's a better representation of kind of the direction we'd like to go as americans you know instead of oh well this kid moved to a different town they live in this big box in a subdivision uh, 100 miles away and then this kid moved another 100 miles away and then mom and dad are by themselves and you know so i i think it's it's a good way to it's a good way to uh, mature the family. So yeah, yeah. We, like we said we we count ourselves very blessed. So yeah, okay. So to transition back into the political side, how do you go from a dad, a uh, husband to county council, and then how do you go from there to state rep? And well, I guess I guess the better question is I like to ask this to people: What was your red pill moment where you were like? Okay, I'm not going to just like go to the polls every year. I'm going to get involved and do something about it. So, <clears throat> I'm not sure I'm allowed to say this, but uh, so I, I did not grow up as a, a church going person. Uh, went to church a couple times in my life growing up. Um, loved my childhood, but church was not part of it. And uh, in college, I, I became Christian, accepted uh, Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And awesome. my position changed in that I felt that uh, we need to be a good steward of what God has given us. Um, whether that's, we kind of, all fair, we're talking about our finances, um, our health, our bodies, um, but also our our system of government. I think we have a unique system of government in world history in that really we, uh, we, the people, are the government. And I think that's something that we miss in society a lot today. 
I'm not supposed to, I'm a representative, but I'm not supposed to be the government. We all sitting here are supposed to be the government. And that goes back to, I think, what we said earlier, where we, we need to be an informed and engaged populace, an informed and engaged people, and we are to be actively involved in it. So when, when I became Christian, it was, it was to me being a good steward of what God had given us was, was taking part, educating myself, and, and being informed. So that's, um, I didn't know if I'd ever go into politics at that point, but I, I followed it. I was engaged. Um, a little ashamed to say at the time, I was more on a national level. And since then, I've seen, really, again, the design of our nation is, you know, one of federalism and decentralization. We need to be more involved at the local level, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, and the federal level should have less uh, sway and, and ability to impact us. That was by design. I'm not saying that's how it is, unfortunately. But, you know, by design, we, we were to be more engaged at the school board level, at the city council level, at the county council levels. And I can tell you, we can affect change a lot faster there than we can at the state level and certainly at the federal level. So, um, and, you know, so my position has kind of changed since, you know, kind of following politics more in that, you know, we, we, we have this idea that the, the higher up the chain you go, the more important you are. And, and certainly there's more people you represent and there's, you know, more uh, issues that come before you, no doubt about that. But uh, I think, the, the, you know, it's, it's equally as important to be involved that you're Certainly, there's been a lot of school board talk over the last few years and, and how important th- those things can be. So um, I'm not sure what your question was, Jake, but, <laughs> but that's, that's where I'm going. So. Yeah, no, you answered. It was, yeah. you know, how, how you went from, like, basically being on the sidelines like most of us are and to okay. I got to run for office and, and do something about it and affect change in your you know, yeah. own way that you're called to do. Yeah, and I guess that's the other part of it. I, you know, I was didn't know if I'd run for politics, but but the opportunity presented itself, um, and there were a couple openings initially on county council in Du Bois County, and uh, just really prayed about it and, and felt like it would be a, a good opportunity. Um, and then I did that for one term, stepped out because I moved out of the district that I represented on county council, and and um, moved into the other area. I thought the county councilman was a, doing a fine job. I didn't, you know, feel the need to be in politics just to be in it, and then. Um, when the state representative position came available, uh, Mark Mesmer, who I think some of your listeners will probably know, was the state representative in, in District 63 at one point. He's now the state senator. Uh, I think it's District 47. But anyway, uh, he asked if I would, um, you know, be willing to to uh, consider the spot. So that's that's how I got here. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but that that's the exact solution to I think the major problem that we were talking about before we started. Uh, airing here was there's this huge gap for people that that see things on a federal level and think man this country screwed up but where do you start well a politician that steps in wanting to take action and responsibility I think is the solution to that because then you start seeing more boots on the ground and how that affects things here locally well you know I I do want to commend you for that because oftentimes you see politicians that just want to be a politician and then it turns into a career instead of saying okay, I don't like the path the United States is on. This is the whole purpose of the show, right? So the whole purpose of the show is to reach out to all those people out there. I think the major majority of Americans feel like what they're doing doesn't really change things. You know, it kind of feels like shooting at the moon. You know, you're off by one degree. You know, it it just feels like there's too much that can go wrong or or you're too far away. So, um, that's that's sort of the purpose of the show is to is to help educate those younger people on how to take action locally. So yeah, to to that point, I I was on uh, like I said, my days on county council four years. I did a four year term there. And I can count on one hand how many times we had people show up to a county council meeting. I mean, it was and and when they did, it was one or two people, you know, because right. it was a something that impacted their neighborhood or something to that effect. So, um, but I could also tell you. Um, if you had even 10 people or 15 people show up to a county council meeting um, on an issue, that's going to make some noise at the county council level, right? I mean, at the, at, again, at the state house, I'm not saying, I'm not in any way trying to discourage people from, from emailing your state legislators or getting involved, but, you know, we're, we're, you're, you're on a neighborhood of thousands or hundreds or for sure, of, or thousands of people that, you know, are emailing and calling and coming to the state house and petitioning and lobbying us there, which again, not saying that's wrong. It's a good. It's, you should do those things, but 
you can, again, impact change. I'll say it again, impact change a lot more. School boards, you know, city councils, county councils, county commissioners, those kind of things. So. Well, and we, we are living in a populist. We were talking about this prior to the show, too, as well. We're living in a populist age where it's really, really easy to be a critic. It's really, really easy to sit behind the keyboard or sit behind your phone, take a shot at someone high up. And we have all types of people like that. The world is not short of critics. The world is short of useful people. Whereas showing up to your county councilman meeting, having a criticism, takes a lot more balls to do that. Or I'm sorry, a lot more courage to show you can up. You say that. Okay. <laughs> sorry. We knew we'd have to, to kind of tone me down a little bit. I'm working on that. But, um, yeah, so giving, given your background, uh, your journey, where things have uh, got you up to this point, um, other than just showing up to the city council meetings, showing up to the county council meetings, any any other insight about just where to get started for somebody that maybe doesn't have a substantial business background or hasn't already established themselves? What are like the easy, low-hanging fruits for a younger person uh, to care more or get more involved? Yeah, I, I think that, um, I'm not sure this will directly answer your question, but I, I, I don't think that You've got to be, um, you know, a, a business person per se. I don't think you have to have any kind of special education or anything. But it, it I, I think you, you kind of mentioned, you know, being a critic, right? And 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 again, certainly as an elected official, we're not immune from criticism, right? That that's part of the process, absolutely. So I'm not I'm not trying to say don't don't be critical, but um, the people who are critical of me but I still listen to and will, you know, take input from are the people who have, you know, properly looked at the issue and, and kind of educated themselves both ways and, and come at it from a reasonable, let's talk about this thing. And, and so to solution that, seeking. yeah, solution yes. seeking. And, and again, maybe I said earlier, maybe we're not going to walk away agreeing, I'm not promising that, but, but at, at least I, I will, I can tell you from my experience, I, you know, fortunately I had a, not pleasant conversation with a constituent on the phone yesterday. This person was not, <clears throat> you know, uh, not not friendly, not seeking solutions. Really, just wanted to kind of throw bombs, uh, so to speak. And 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 so we did not have a constructive conversation. And and uh, there's nothing good was going to come of that conversation. You know, so uh, those kind of things are not helpful for public dialogue, public debate, and and ultimately, if they're not helpful for those things, they're not going to be helpful for society generally speaking and and so um you know I'm, I'm not saying don't bring your passion i mean we can be passionate and i don't i'm not a, i don't have a problem with people who are passionate but you know it's it's got to be kind of passion under controlled and uh, under control and and so I, I guess to try to answer your question it's it's just you know educating ourselves on on the issue and making making sure that we to the best that we can you know have have, have kind of looked at all sides and tried to be fair to all sides and, and not just taking, you know, the uh, a soundbite that they heard or a, a, a headline that they read in, in, the, in the newspaper and forming their entire opinion off of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got to dig into things a little bit more oftentimes. And then coming at it as, hey, tell me why you did this. You know, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell people what to do here, right? And I'm, I'm not trying to tame people down so much, but I'm just telling you from my perspective – how I engaged and how I, I, I think it's more productive to be engaged is let's try to understand each other. Again, you can be passionate, um, but just, you know, kind of bring that passion under control a little bit. And, and, and really, so I guess just educating yourself on, uh, you know, and again, I'm not, I don't have any, you know, superior knowledge or anything. I mean, I was not, like I said, I just a kind of a country boy grew up, you know what I'm saying? So, um, anyway, it's it's but we can all educate ourselves um, on different issues and and approach it that way. So, well, communication is key, right? Like, if I come to you and I say, "Hey, I don't really agree," this is what I think. You're probably going to try to help me to get there to where maybe we walk away in disagreement. But instead, people <laughs> I watch on Facebook all the time. People comment comment on some of your stuff that has nothing to do with your post. And they're like, they want to destroy you. They don't want to, they want to do personal. Yeah. They want to take you down to the ground (laughs) and start fighting. Right. It has nothing to do with like what you actually posted. I I think 
criticism coupled with, hmm, I guess what I'm saying is, I try not to criticize unless I have a solution ready. Mm-hmm. And, and this, the criticism in itself is never a personal criticism. It's, hey, there's a problem and we need to solve it. You know, I would I would attack the problem and not the person. That's and 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 that means if you're willing to attack the problem, say the problem is 100% of the issue, well, now I have someone lifting 50% of the problem with me instead of depleting my energy and criticizing me or, or you mm-hmm. or whoever sure. and not not helping the problem at all, yeah. you know. So that's sort of the attitude part of the show, you know, where we're here to solve problems. We're not here to be right. Yeah, that that's um, <coughs> going back to the conversation I had yesterday. It's It really came down to questioning one another's motives. This person and I vehemently disagreed on an issue, um, and it was – kind of the, the, the personal attack, and it, it was really just the presumption that I had ill intent on an issue. And mm. and um, I said to the person, I said, look, I'm not questioning your motives. I think your heart is probably in the right place. I disagree with you strongly, but I think your heart's probably in the right place. I'm not questioning your motives. And so, um, you know, I, I think that a lot of times we ascribe, uh, you know, ill intent to people who feel differently about an issue. And don't get me wrong, there are some people out there who ill intent is is the name of the game, right? Yeah, I'm not right. naive to that. Yes. Uh, but I think many times uh, ill intent is is not um, the motivation behind why somebody, you know, like in my position will vote one way or not vote one way. And and so um, if we can if we can clear out that and and then find an area of agreement which I can almost always find some area where I agree with people, you know, something to stand on, something to stand yeah. on. Right. That's a great way to put it. And then kind of build out from there. So here's where we are. Here's what we agree on. We're not so different maybe. Mm-hmm. And then, but here's where we diverge. And, and I understand you, you understand me. We're not going to get there, but you know, we're, we're again, society, generally speaking, kind of one relationship at a time is going to be better off. You know, the two, the two words that pop out in the staunch to me are being loyal and committed. And it's hard to be committed to a movement or committed to the wealth and prosperity of a nation when you're not willing to commit on a relationship level locally. You know, it, it's just a that type of attitude just brews useless criticism, like what we were saying. So, you know, the, when you said the word relationship, I think that's kind of the the buzzword that I needed to hear. Uh, on on how to make these changes and and pr- and solve these problems, you know. Um, so yeah, that's all I wanted to add when you said relationships. You know, kind of loop it back to your original question on how do you get involved, right? So I've that's where I was. T- yeah, exactly. I have, I have personal experience getting involved, right? And I'll I'll loop in my faith in here too. You know, I I tried to I lived used to live in Newburgh in Wart County. I tried to move to Nashville. I tried to move to Indianapolis. Every time something would happen that would pull me back in and keep me closer to home, right? And, like, one day, and people will <laughs> listen and be like, whatever. But I'm literally running. Uh, there's some work trails. you got to check them out. Pretty nice. I was running on the trails, and I'm, like, praying as I'm running about whether I should leave my job or not. And I literally did a shuffle on my um, iPhone and uh, stay a little longer by Brothers Osborne comes on. I'm like, what the world? So I took that as a sign, and I stayed in Newburgh for another year, sold my house, a pretty good profit, came back home to get closer to all my family, right? And as soon as I got here, it was very evident what the plan was, right? It was, oh, there's not a young Republicans in Davies County, Indiana, which is the most red part of our, our state, going back to 2020 election data. So I said, okay, I know our GOP chairman, I know the vice chairman is my grandpa, so I'm going to start talking to them about this. So I did that, right? I got involved. And what did that do? Not Jacob started Young Republicans. It networked. It brought me Ross. <laughs> it brought me other people. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> but it, and, you know, we've developed a good friendship, but it brought other people together, um, past, present, future. And, you know, I ended up meeting Shane, uh, some other politicians. And now, like, I know, like, I'm very confident that I can reach out to a, a, a lot of politicians and be like, hey, would you mind coming on this podcast? Just because I networked and like, it's like, uh, 
like your neural networks working right you make one connection like oh well they know this person right and so I think that's the best way to get involved is just literally like throw yourself out there even if it's outside of your comfort zone some of the best things come out being outside of your comfort zone right and you just kind of work it from there perfect and and I'll add one more thing in your life you may know a thousand people or, or let's say it this way you may have um, meaningful, substantial reactions with a thousand people. And those thousand people are going to know a thousand people. Right. So that puts you one person away from being able to change the lives of a million people. So I know a lot of staunch conservatives who since 2020 may have moved back home and all they did was buy more AK 47 rounds, <laughs> you know, and, and there is one side to that. That's, that's right. Yeah. I stocked up on ammo as well. And, and that seems to be like the, oh, well, I'm a conservative and I'll back, the, you know, don't tread on me attitude. That's a great attitude. I love it. But the more manly, strong, responsible thing to do is to say, who do I need to reach out to? How can I get involved to help solve this problem? Not just stock up on ammo and wait for the country to start <laughs> burning to pieces, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I'll add one more thing to it as well. I, you know, it, it, talking about what we're talking about, maybe for somebody who's not engaged or not involved currently, may may seem kind of daunting. And so I would I would say too, just just pick an area, right? I mean, you don't have to, you know, go to county council meetings and school board meetings and write your state representative and write U.S. senator and call the president. You don't have to do all those things. I mean, it, certainly you know welcome to do all those things, but uh, you know, really just focusing your time on you know, an issue or an area and, and getting involved there first, and then it doesn't seem so, so daunting. Right. And, and I think that is also some, something that, um, is important. <clears throat> and if you're going to pick an area, uh, again, like I said earlier, I would do it locally because you can, you can have a bigger impact locally than, than on, you know, like I said, higher up the chain. And, and again, there's a lot of important issues. Again, I mentioned the school board thing, you know, that, that those are really important issues you know, our next generation, how they think and how they interact with the world is going to be critical, crucial for our nation going forward. So that would be an area I would encourage people to educate themselves, educate themselves on, you know, the history of our nation, the, the true history of our nation and, and uh, warts, flaws, good to bad, right? Um, and, and, then, and then go forward from there. So, um, you know, another thing is, is getting people to care. Uh, you know, when I look at the I'm a, I'm a big history guy. I look at cycles quite a bit. You know, obviously there's a real obvious cycle. It's an 80-year cycle. It's about four generations. You know, you've heard the poem, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times again. So that's a real obvious 80-year cycle. You know, if you look at 2024 and you go back 80 years, you're in, what, 1944, World War II, go back 80 years, you're in American Civil War, go back 80 years, you're in uh, 1776, the American Revolutionary War. How do we break these these cycles of change? Um, and, and even a bigger cycle than that is, I think America's 246 years old or something like that, and most democracies start to crumble at year 250 for some reason. And I think it's just because when a country is born, it's a very intolerant nation. It's, it's a very strong nation made up of makers they most of them own their own farm own their own business own they are they they want the the brunt of the failure when it goes bad but they want the, all the reward when it goes well and over time people learn to vote free stuff and so at the end of the and, and this is the tangent by the way but I'm, I'm just saying how do we get people to not only acknowledge that but to care, because when I look at that 250-year cycle, one of the very last stages of that cycle before it starts to repeat itself back to bondage is apathy. And it doesn't take a genius to look out there today and just realize that we're assuming right now in this conversation that people care. Like, we're telling you how to get involved because you care. But I'm telling you, I work with younger guys that work for me, um, and it's it's so abundant and good here in this all-star of a first world nation that they don't care because life's always been great. But I think as the economic change, as the economic temperature continues to change, social change will definitely happen. 
And so where's where do you start to to get people inspired to actually care before it's already to a point where it's like, hey, you have to care now, you know. So that's that's the big question. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. You don't have to have all the answers. Yeah, that's good because I don't. Uh, I, I I don't know. You know, um, I I think it it could be what you guys are doing here is part of that, right? It, it's um, you know, random conversations, relationships we're having. I, you know, I I you know, we I think we have a tendency to look to, um, and I certainly am guilty of this too. Look to some sort of. We've you know, talking before, like a George Washington, right? We're looking to this this political person, this political leader that's going to, you know, do this for us, kind of fix this for us, and make everything right. And and um, and again, I, I think that when we do that, we we misunderstand again how our nation. If we're looking to a person, a, a kind of a king, so to speak, outside of you know Jesus Christ, right? If we're looking oh, to a does. person, then we're missing it a little bit. Uh, we're missing it a lot. I would say uh, we are supposed to be the solution. We are supposed to be the government, and, and I don't know how to I don't know how to get there, Ross, to answer your question directly. But um, other than just keep encouraging people and uh, you know to, to to get engaged and get involved. So, yeah, my my biggest advice to people, and people probably don't want to hear this either, but is you know you saw a lot of conservatives attach themselves to Donald Trump during twenty twenty. I voted for Donald Trump, proud of it, but he wasn't perfect, right? In my opinion, he wasn't the greatest leader. He had some great policies that I agreed with, uh, along with some of his uh, foreign policies that his administration was trying to put in place. But do not attach yourself to any one man because they will always disappoint you, no matter who it is. I mean, it could be your dad or grandpa, right? They're always going to fall short of like what you think of them. But one, the one that doesn't is Jesus Christ, right? So if you keep that as number one, you'll never be disappointed because you'll always have him as your backbone instead of like a human being. Right. So I've, I've been kind of on the, I'm taking a little tangent, I guess on, on the, I think it kind of speaks to the question though, uh, you know, several times and I'm a Republican. And, and so what, what are my thoughts on Donald Trump or what do I think about Donald Trump? And my answer is always the same. I've, I've sworn a, an oath three times now, once in the military, once for County council and once for state representative and I've never sworn an oath to, to Donald Trump or any other man, right? right. My, my allegiance is to the Constitution of the United States. And so, again, I think we can love Donald Trump. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like you, Jacob. I mean, I, I think he did a lot of great things. Um, um, you know, I certainly have my opinions on, on uh, the current uh, administration and, and my, my disapproval of them. Um, and, and I think we'd be in a lot better place. Um, again, not to get too political here, but... My, my allegiance is to the Constitution, and uh, outside, again, of, of Jesus Christ, my earthly allegiance is, is to the U.S. Constitution and the Constitution of the state of Indiana. So th- those were written by people much more intelligent than me. And, and so uh, if, if those are not our guide, we're just making this stuff up as we go, and that's, that's, not, a good, that's not a good way to do, to do government. So, Yeah, and, and that's the foundation, right? I mean, so we're... We're starting to see a little bit of the foundation crack on the house. And, you know, it's, do you stop the damage where it's at or do you try to correct it all together? And I think it's kind of hard when, first of all, 80 million votes did not happen. But even if it really was 51-49, we're now in a, what I would call a 51% tyrancy. You know, so it's, it's democracy with lipstick on. It's, you know, it's, we're supposed to be a republic, right? Yeah. So now I think, yeah, I mean, number one, getting people to care. Number two, teaching them how to actually be effective, what to do with that. Like you said, you don't want them to lack passion. Right. You know, Absolutely. but come with a problem-solving attitude and, and uh, you know, take this thing by the horns. Okay, yeah, so... Shane, if you could, uh, I know we had a special session for tax refund or abortion bill. If you could talk about, those are actually the only two I'm aware of, Correct. to be honest. But yeah, so it was uh, ended up what ended up passing was SB one, which was uh, a bill dealing pretty much exclusively with with the issue of abortion, and then SB two, uh, which had kind of two components. You might say that the uh, automatic uh, taxpayer refund that um, started going out. Now um, was was kind of one component, and then 
don't know if the backside is the right word to say, but the second component of, the, of SB2 was uh, a lot of money. Um, I have a cheat sheet here. I had it written down. I, 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 I thought I apologize. Um, it was roughly $6 million went out to help women and children, presumably now with the passage of SB1. Um, abortion is going to be more difficult. There will be more babies born. Um, and so how do we you know, cover some of that. How can we help women? How can we help the babies that are born? How can we help families? So um, we decided that the state the state put a lot of money toward toward those things, whether it be ad- adoption credits uh, have gone up substantially and uh, money for mental health and money for, for uh, pregnancy centers and things like that went in there as well. So in SB2. So. Yeah, which I found, and my wife is the expert on this, but I found that pregnancy centers are like way undervalued. Like I don't think people are aware, you know, everybody talks about Planned Parenthood and uh, Planned Parenthood probably does some good things, but the the agenda behind it is what I think makes it not so good. Right. But the pregnancy care centers do offer really good resources. And And you've got a great one here in Washington. Um, It's it's wonderful. They do fantastic. Had an opportunity to tour that uh, in a couple months ago now, but uh, I was just amazed, blown away with, the resources that they offer and, and what they're doing there in the community. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of contractors and businesses uh, pour a lot of effort into that. And I'm definitely proud of what we have here, especially here in Southern, Southern Indiana. I think we're vel- very well represented in that. Um, <clears throat> and my, <laughs> I'll just back up here on a macro level. Is, is it not obvious what, what maybe, I guess, me as an individual, when I step when I step back and look at the world uh, from a thirty thousand foot view, and, and we're looking at this virus thing, we're looking at abortions, we're looking at baby formula running short. Am I a conspiracy theorist to think that it's just a game of sheer numbers where they're trying to decrease the human population? I mean, I, I don't read that all the time, but how far off am I on that? I, I mean, I, I mean. I don't know if that really meets the definition, but I mean, I would call that similar to eugenics, right? That, you know, Planned Parenthood was started by Margaret Sanger, who was a proud eugenist. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to ask. Yes. And her, her whole goal was to get women to fight for their own abortion, and she has succeeded. And uh, <laughs> you break it down into the details, right? Um, and I'll talk about the black community. I'm not targeting black people at all, but I'm just representing facts, right? I think, and I'll use my my own cheat sheet here, but um, black community had 18.7 billion, or 7 million abortions uh, from 65 to 2018, which represents 42% of their population. For comparative purposes, white people, 14%, Hispanics, 15%, right? Imagine if it wasn't, they weren't targeted, because I don't know why, except for Margaret Sanger was a eugenist mm-hmm. and she believed in, you know, creating the perfect gene pool, right? Uh, we've heard so many other awful leaders in the past. Tyrants. Tyrants, yes. right. So. Imagine you know, if Hitler would have had uh, viruses. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. But, you know, to my point, and she succeeded, and imagine if black people weren't targeted, right? If she didn't exist, their population would be closer to, 25, 30%, and they would be more wealthy. They would, there'd be all these resources that would have come back to them because of that. And it has nothing to do with racism, like from, you know, from our standpoint. It's somebody's agenda from a long time ago. And I don't want to deviate too much, but just like the, I'll call it the trans ideology and the CRT, that starts from a academic person saying, like, whether they're, I think their intent is evil, but I have this theory. Let's test it on people and, you know, let's test it on babies and stuff like that. And it's just no place for it here. Right. So it's behavioral experiment experimentation. Yeah. You know, it's mass behavioralism. Yeah. So this is one of my tendencies. I, I do take a 30,000 foot view of everything. And a lot of times what I insert into the show will be on a macroscopic scale instead of, how does this bill, how do we win here as conservatives with this, with this bill? 
what's the progress, what's the information, make sure our listeners know exactly what's going on. But just want to back up and apologize. I know sometimes I can make it very <laughs> broad. Necessary but at least opinion. I asked the question. I said, am I conspiracy? Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, I think, it, I think it's great what we're pushing for. Uh, I think we're putting a dent uh, in that agenda by uh, allowing more babies to be born. I mean, when, a, when an adult passes away, that's one person. But when babies pass away, it could be 10 persons. I mean, maybe back in the old days, but more mm-hmm. like four persons now. You know, so, uh, yeah, I think that movement, we need to continue to spearhead that. Right, right, yeah. It uh, it, it was the, the whole debate, the, the issue. So SB1 did pass, it, um, <coughs> and, and uh, one, of the, one of the key things it did was – basically eliminate the ability for Planned Parenthood to perform abortions. Um, So now any abortions that are performed in the state of Indiana um, should go to, and I said should because there's a caveat I'll talk about here in a moment, but should go to um, a hospital or hospital-owned outpatient center, right? And and so from a protection of, you know, uh, the women's standpoint, um, they're going to get much better health care at a hospital or an outpatient center, we heard just horrible stories from women who uh, had had abortions in, in their past and and had gone to you know Planned Parenthood centers and, and some of the things that um, you know they experienced were not not pleasant to say the least. Um, you know, ex- excluding what the baby experienced, uh, which is which is a whole other story there. So, um, you know, so th- so that's kind of one thing um, that that the bill did when it when it finally passed. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, it was um, hours and hours of testimony, hours and hours of debate on, on the bill, as it should be. It, it, uh, it was a, it's, a, it's been an important and a divisive and a, a hot topic, obviously, to say the least, for decades in this country. And, and so um, there were some of us, and I was one of them, that, you know, hoped that if the Supreme Court did what it ultimately did, that the governor would call us back in for special session and we'd have an opportunity to address the issue as quickly as possible. We wanted to do it right, right? right. I mean, you don't want to mess that bill up. And, I, you know, I'm still not sure we got it 100% right. But um, if the thinking is, you know, we're saving actual human lives, which science tells us we are. Embryology is very clear that from the moment of conception, it's a separate and distinct human being there um, that that we need to, you know, as, as a government official, my, my perspective is, my opinion is, not my opinion it's it's in the constitutions but one of our primary roles as government is protection of of the populace and so um I, I think that includes the born and the unborn so it was important to me that we get rolling on that as soon as possible so yeah i mean it's a it's a huge win and i think for hopefully people listen to this that are on both sides or moderate and there's a lot of republicans that are absolutely pro-choice right absolutely yeah but one thing i want to make clear like from a like level-headed pro-life perspective we don't believe that if you're a woman and you choose to have an abortion that you're bad that's not what we think right we think you're misinformed misguided maybe don't have the proper resources which is a big one um it's an emotional decision right so that doesn't mean you're bad and it you can always come back from that i know a handful of women that have went through that and they come back and they're beautiful people so they're not cast out. It's nothing like that. And I think that's a misconception is like Republicans want to like do away with them and prosecute women, which is not true. And this SB1 clearly makes that um, statement that women, I'm probably misrepresenting a little bit, but women are not going to be punished. It's the doctors, not like full out, but like there's some caveats to that. I think. Right. But yeah. They, if, 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 so yeah, there's no punishment to, to a woman who, who makes that decision. Um, the doctor, uh, is subject if they've performed an illegal abortion. Uh, there's a you know the do- the, the governing board of of, of, of doctors um, will, will the doctor could stand to lose their license if it's proved that they performed an illegal abortion. So right. um, and that's and yeah to to your point. I mean we heard again like I said a minute ago hours and hours of testimony on this issue. Um, and and you know the, what it keeps coming back to for me that there are a lot of heartbreaking stories. Uh, very difficult issues when you get into the abortion issue, um, and you know, you know, as a <clears throat> as a Republican, I'm accused of, of all kinds of things for my stance on this issue. 
Um, but really, for me, it, it just comes back to what I said a moment ago. It's that one central issue, which is really the only question we should be debating initially. Uh, um, you know, and I'm not saying there aren't hard other other very difficult issues uh, that, that we need to work through on this issue, but is it a human being or not? I mean, and that's, for me, I can't get around that. And again, embryology is very clear. We we hear all kinds of things lately in the last few years about trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. Well, this is one where I can pretty clearly look at the science and trust the embryo. There's, you know, the embryology textbooks, uh, you know, it, from the moment of conception, it's a separate and distinct human being. Um, right. There's, there's, you know, it's got everything it needs to continue to grow and thrive if the conditions are, uh, are, are left uh, as they should be. So, you know, that, that is the place we need to start. And then, are there other issues, other difficult, difficult issues that we need to work through on that? Yeah, and, and talk about on that, absolutely. And, right. and how do we support women going through that? But um, I, I, if somebody can explain to me, you know, how it's not a human being that we're, you know, ending the life of, then I'll, I'll certainly listen. But again, after hours of testimony, nobody was able to do that. So, I, I love your comment in there about supporting the women, right? Because I hate commenting on things like this about women because it feels like, oh, I don't have a dog in the fight. But when really, you know, obviously <clears throat> a lot of men steer away from answering this question about abortion for that very reason. They're scared of the criticism that may follow or, you know, women should choose. Well, then there you go. You're back to pro-choice. But it's not about that. It's about making abortion harder or impossible or whatever, that movement, is going to require more responsibility from the men. So from an evolutionary standpoint or from, from just how we evolve as a culture, if it were impossible or harder to get an abortion, maybe the female selection, sexual selection process would be better, which would be a win for all of humanity. <laughs> um, we're making it too easy to not bear responsibility. And so that's why I support life right and another misconception i mean so if you look at both sides and if your heart is in the right place right place on both sides which it can be um it can in my belief it can be it's a difficult yeah i understand on the pro-life side i and it sounds like you guys believe it's about the baby right there's a lot of pro-choice republicans who are not saying oh i think we should have like mass abortion right they don't like it either, but they're saying it's about my body. And I can work with somebody. You can have an intelligent conversation with someone that says, well, I think it's about me, and or I think it's about the baby. Now, we're probably not going to ever agree. I've never changed anybody's mind, and I probably won't. But I I can work with people who, like, they're more thinking, like, well, it's, like, my body. And, and that's not, I don't agree with that, but I can work with you instead of the hateful of, like, I'm a piece of crap because I want to control a woman's body. And that's not what we're trying to do. Like no. to your point, right? That's right. not, that's not what we're here here for. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, some of the disagreements I've had with folks and I, this is, you know, I mentioned earlier kind of trying to find that common ground or not ascribing ill intention to people. Um, even on this issue, I think a lot of the people that I've talked to, um, who disagree say, well, you know, what about all these kids now that are not taken care of and they're not going to, there's, you know, they're not going to have good homes. And, right. and so for me, I, I think there's a lot of people, again, I disagree with this, but uh, who, who their heart's in the right place. They don't want to see children suffer, right? They don't want to see children unwanted and unloved and without families, without stable homes. And, and so I, I can certainly look at that to your point, Jacob, and say that that person's heart is in the right place. They, they just want kids to be wanted and loved. Right. Um, and I agree with that. I, I do, too. However, there's still that fundamental foundational issue of then where do we draw that line, um, you know, on right. when we can eliminate human beings and not eliminate human beings. Gosh, and, that's and, the best way of saying it. And, right and so and, and so that to me is where <clears throat> kind of the rubber meets the road. And so I'm not trying to be heartless or callous. Uh, to, to women, um, certainly who oftentimes, and again, we heard a lot of testimonies in very, very difficult situations that I would not wish on anyone. Um, but there's also a separate human being involved when pregnancy is, when the pregnancies happen, when conception has happened. And, and, and so as a government official, we have to take 
that human being's life into account as well. It's it's not one person anymore. It's 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 two human beings at that point. So, mm-hmm. right. And uh, okay, so I'll, I'll transition to some uh, other misconceptions that I think people should know because you see stuff on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's just a misrepresentation. And one of the, like the biggest tweet that was copied and pasted and just totally false is the you know the three things of ectopic uh, abortions, which are not considered abortions. You can go on Planned Parenthood's website, and it's a um, see it's I wrote down the definition so I don't make anybody mad. But an egg attaches somewhere besides the uterus, usually through the fallopian tube, tube, right? Or something, yeah. And this happens, but it's rare. I think two out of a hundred. So, you know, less than 1% of the time, or I guess 2% time it happens, right? And the others are a septic uterus, which I think is just from, like, unsafe um, medical procedures. And it may go to your point where you were talking about, you know, instead of having a clinic, having a hospital, you have a better care. Um, but that's less than 1%. Um, and the other is miscarriages, right, if they have to... Uh, perform that operation where they have to, you know, get the remain. Like that's not, that's not an abortion. That's not considered an abortion. That is a procedure and a medical treatment for miscarriage. And you know, I'm hearts with anybody that goes through that. I've been through one myself, and it's not fun. But that's not an abortion. And that's totally is away from what we're talking about here, right? So yeah, yeah, it is. And and you know whether you consider it an abortion or not. And I, I I've certainly heard the, the point you're making there, uh, Jacob, it, it, it's, that was again, the, the misconception, the stuff I saw the stuff on Facebook too, on how we're going to make all that illegal. That was never contemplated. I mean, it, right. it was uh, just one of those things of, of seeing something on social media. And unfortunately a lot of people shared and liked and, and did, and did all those things that were, were never true. were never contemplated. were never part of the bill. I mean, you can, uh, those those situations were legal before. It, it, you know, there's an exception in the bill for life of a mother. So if if, if uh, OB uh, sees that you know the mother's life is in danger, uh, they can make a reasonable decision there right. um, to. And and some people, frankly, didn't like that. Uh, some people thought that was maybe too much of a window. If you have a abortion inclined OB who might say, oh. Uh, uh, you know the the mental health of this woman is is in jeopardy, and 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 so we need to uh, allow an abortion. So, you know, there, there's a there's a difficult line there when you're actually making public policy because you don't want to you don't want a doctor in in a, in a hospital room having to look up Indiana code on what they can and can't do, right? So we've got to find again that, that kind of that, that common ground where, uh, you know, the doctor can make in the heat of battle, so to speak, a reasonable uh, decision and come, you know, and and. The, the goal is, though, to save both humans, right? right? Understanding that sometimes the least bad option has to be taken, which is... The lesser of two the evils. The lesser of two evils, exactly. Uh, kind of a triage situation at that point, right? And, and right. so the stuff about ectopic pregnancy and, and septic uterus and all that stuff was never on the table, never even remotely considered as being made illegal, so... Right, and that, that's kind of weird to even assume that, like, a bunch of politicians are going to sit around talking about that stuff. I don't think, I'm not saying politicians don't have the wherewithal, but it's just like, if I'm thinking about abortion, I'm not going to think about those three things of like eliminating it. Right. So never contemplated. Right. So, um, so to wrap up the abortion topic, um, I was kind of surprised to see both in the house and the Senate, some of like specific politicians that, um, voted no or didn't vote at all. Um, I don't really want to call them out on this podcast. I'd rather have them on here and ask them specifically. But can you kind of speak to Because there hasn't really been a lot of, like, information, even behind the scenes, that I people I've talked to that could really attest to that. Can I mean, what's your opinion on why they said no or abstained from it in one instance? Yeah, so I've been asked this many times uh, <laughs> since, since all that went down. Um, so I, I had... Uh, Surprisingly, I think it surprises some people. Very little communication with the Senate side, you know, on, from from the House side to the Senate side. This was a bill um, that we did collaborate more on. Um, people who were like minded, you know, on, on where we stood on on the issue of abortion. Generally speaking, again, the way a normal bill works, you don't really work with the senators that much. Um, 
you know, the, and, until toward the end of session, you know, our bills go there, their bills come <laughs> to us, and, and then you start collaborating together. This was an issue because it was so important that we started collaborating on more. Um, so, I, you know, the, the group that I worked with, I, I can only really say where their heads were, you know, and they were, I was working with them because we were like-minded. Um, you know, I'm not going to speak for what, you know, yeah. what other people did or didn't do or, or how they voted or didn't vote. I mean, it's certainly, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was certainly chaotic at times and, and, and how everything was, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming at us pretty quick there. So, um, but yeah, I wouldn't want to comment on why people did what they did or didn't do what they, what they yeah, did. no, understood. Um, had to ask but. absolutely okay um yeah okay so we'll we'll try to wrap up here and um i briefly wanted to touch on kind of the student loan forgiveness that actually wasn't planning on talking about this for the show but it came up this week um a lot of people are mad <laughs> uh that has they've already paid off their loans and you know they're they're giving away money now right so I don't know. My my opinion on the matter is that keep that passion that you guys are mad about, all this inflation, all these extra taxes, because that's what's going to happen. They're going to take that canceled debt, and they're going to find a way to to tax the middle class, and it'll hit hit us. Um, keep that passion. Go to the polls <laughs> in November, right? But uh, I don't know if you can talk about kind of your opinion on that, and Ross, you too. Yeah. So I mean, it, I, I've certainly obviously heard about it. Um, as you probably know, we have nothing to do with that at the state level, but it, it, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people equate it to defense spending or the PPP loans that were given during, uh, you know, COVID and things like that and equating them saying that if you took a PPP loan, for instance, that you have no right criticizing a, a college loan payback. Um, I would just say to that, you know, you can, you can agree with the PPP stuff or not, you can agree with the amount of defense spending. You can agree uh, tax abatements are another one. Local governments a lot of times allow tax abatements. You can agree with that or not um, on whether that's good policy and whether those things should happen. I would just say that those are different things in kind, though, um, between someone, um, and this is my perspective on this, someone uh, agreeing to take out a loan. You're, you're basically making a contract there with someone, a bank or the government or whatever it is that you're going to pay this money back and and then to not do that I think is different than um, you know again the pay the PPP thing was you know the government we the government unfortunately came in and said you business owner are no longer allowed to work we are going to shut you down and then coming in on the backside right uh, and then coming in on the backside and saying okay we're going to provide you a little relief on that I think that's a different agreement when the business owner did not agree <laughs> to, to, to have their business right. artificially yes. closed down. Um, <laughs> and the government coming back in and trying to make that business owner whole is a different thing than a, a person uh, deciding they're going to take out hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in, in, um, in student loan debt and then not paying that back. And as you say, Jacob, that's, there's nothing free, right? I had this conversation with my second grader a couple days ago. He said, we get free lunch at school. <laughs> and I said, there's nothing free, buddy. Yeah, it is. It Somebody's is. It's free. It. It's free. You know, he was positive. It was free. It's not free. We're all going to pay for it at some at some point. Our kids are probably, you know, are going to be paying for it, right. uh, you know. And, and so um, I, yeah, I have a strong opinion on it. Um, and and I, I, I disagree with it. I, I think that it's, uh, you know, I think it's going to be problematic in a lot of ways. So, yeah. I think when tax abatements, and I may add this because we're actually pursuing a tax abatement right now. Um, it's looked at like a bottom line business transaction, a partnership. So when a county or a, an economic development is looking at a potential tax abatement for an investor, that is looked at at a, at a five or 10 year bottom line uh, profit and loss. So with that abatement, the investor is able to provide or create value for the community. And growth. Right. Where, whereas it, it's a business transaction, and that, that does not compare at all to forgiving all the student debt because half of the students are, they have a degree in something that's not even adding value to the country at all. It's just going to cause more money printing. And I mean, again, from a macroscopic scale, the United States, it's been a long, long, long time since we were not the 
world currency. And if the Federal Reserve continues to pump out money, sometimes up to a trillion dollars a day, when the American dollar drops to nothing, and, and it will because all fiat currency in history has gone to zero, all of it, whether it be a new global currency or whatever it is, the United States will not be the United States anymore if they're not the world currency. Right, and to, so to give some more color to that, back in 08 when we had the crash, Obama bailed out the rich, right? You know, people tried to say he was for the people and he was not for the people. He sided with the rich. He, he bailed them out. So to wrap this conversation up, you know, we've been propping. The crash in 08 should have been a lot worse is what I'm saying. But we propped it up, and we've been propping it up, the economy, ever since to create this kind of fake economy. So what that does is it creates a bubble. And when that bubble bursts, you're probably going to get one of the probably the biggest crash that we've ever had just because of 08 wasn't done correcting before they got bailed out. Right? Like a forest fire, if you don't have controlled burns every now and then, the whole thing will burn to the ground. Right. So, okay. So I'll uh, I'll wrap that conversation up and uh, leave you with this. And I have to give a special shout-out to uh, so Jan Schuler-Hicks. She's the GOP chairman. Um dear friend of mine and our families for years, but her husband taught me this trick uh, when having conversations like this to leave people thinking with, and that is, you know, what's your top 10 uh, favorite movies of all time? And you don't have to give 10 today, but if you could just name like your top two or three and what it does, is it tells you a lot about a person, how they think, like what's their personality. So Forrest Gump uh, would be, would we be up there? Uh, the Green Mile. Shawshank Redemption. Um, some comedies would be um, <clears throat> Anchorman. You mentioned Anchorman <laughs> earlier. I, yeah. I really like Anchorman. Um, the Caddyshack. Well, the first Caddyshack was, is one of those. Uh, so, yeah, those would be I, I, yeah, a so quick snapshot. That's good. So, like, you know, everyone listening, you know that your state representative, Mr. Lindauer, is uh, is casual, <laughs> likes comedy just like the rest of us, right? So that's pretty cool. So with that, uh, thank you guys for listening to our very first episode, our pilot episode, um, and we'll see you next time.